Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. Providing insight and resources for your spiritual journey. Unity Online Radio. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, offering insights and practices for spiritually conscious living today with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien from the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California. To ask questions or join the discussion, email us at yogahour at unity.fm. Now, here's your host, Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Welcome to the Yoga Hour, our time to open our hearts and our minds to the infinite. I'm Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, and I'll be sharing with you today some insights and practices from the spiritual tradition of yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization. Yoga is a popular word today, but many, you know, still think of it as uh, exercise, but it's <clears throat> philosophical meaning and um, essence is much greater. Uh, yoga means oneness, union, or unity, and it refers to our ability to bring our attention and our awareness to consciously abide in our essential spiritual nature. We can think of this as being restored to our original wholeness. So yoga is self-realization, knowing our true nature as spiritual beings, and then, of course, living in harmony with that truth. Today's topic is the way of divine love. We'll be exploring wisdom found in the Bhakti Sutras of Narada, which gives some profound and I think sometimes surprising um, insights about love as a spiritual path and practice. And joining us today is Prem Prakash. He's the co-director of the Green Mountain School of Yoga in Vermont and author of a wonderful translation of Narada Bhakti Sutras called The Yoga of Spiritual devotion. Prem has been practicing yoga since 1979, and in 1990, his yoga guru, Baba Haridas, gave him permission to teach others. Prem Prakash and his wife, Ambika, have studied formally with several teachers of different lineages, and together they serve as co-directors of the Green Mountain School of Yoga in Middlebury, Vermont. Prem is also the author of several other books on yoga, including Three Paths of Devotion, God, Goddess, and Guru, Yoga, American Style, and Universal Yoga, the Bhagavad Gita for Modern Times. And he's taught yoga throughout North America, and his writings have appeared in Yoga Journal, Yoga International, and Light of Consciousness, among others. Their website is gmsy.org. Welcome, Prem. I'm so delighted you could be with us today on the Yoga Hour. Good morning, Ellen. And as we um, get ready to begin our dialogue about divine love, let's take a moment just for a centering meditation. As we contemplate the path of divine love this morning, one of the essential premises of that path is that the 
reality which is called by many names, God, peace, spirit, love, that reality is omnipresent. We are living in it, and it is expressing through us. So right where we are right now, we take this moment simply to turn our awareness to that. And you can use your breath to simply expand your awareness beyond the confines of being identified with the finite self. Let your breath help you move your awareness beyond that into the infinite, feeling, knowing, remembering that you are that infinite life, supreme consciousness, and divine bliss, divine love, divine joy. It only takes a moment, a moment of remembrance, a moment of returning our awareness to rest in the self that is never changing, that is beyond words and thoughts. And when we do this, peace pervades our mind and our bodies. So touch that peace in this moment. And then intentionally feel that you're letting that peace overflow. Sending it forth into your day ahead. Peace for all beings everywhere. We have a wonderful opportunity today to have a little taste of the sweet taste of the yoga of spiritual devotion and in particular to take a look at uh, its primary text, the sutras, the bhakti sutras of Narada. Um, Most people, I would say, on the spiritual path of yoga today are familiar with Patanjali's Yoga Sutra as the principal text of Raja Yoga. Um, but this, and that text, of course, emphasizes meditation and the, um, the eight limbs of yoga practice. And it does uh, include elements of um, wisdom yoga, jnana yoga, bhakti yoga devotion, and karma yoga, the yoga of selfless action. Um, but it is primarily known as a text of Raja Yoga. And so students today may not be so familiar with the Bhakti Sutras, the principal text of this yoga of devotion. So I'm delighted, Prem, uh, I was several years ago to come across your translation and then to be able to um, share it with others this morning. So let's begin by having you tell us a little bit about um your definition of bhakti, bhakti yoga, and the origins of this uh, sutra. Okay. Well, uh, I would propose that bhakti is uh, both a, a noun and a verb. It's a noun in that it is uh, uh, presenting a state of consciousness in which one realizes that love is real, and that everything else, everything else is simply a temporary transformation of energy. And so all existence arises, exists, and then returns back into love, into that which is real and that which is eternal. Bhakti is also a verb in that it is a, uh, a yoga, a set of upayas or skillful means whereby the aspirant attempts to find the answers to the deeper questions of life. 
Who am I? Why am I here? What is my purpose for living and being? And one seeks those answers beyond the, uh, the parameters of the conceptual mind, beyond the agitations that arise within uh, the individual consciousness. And by pursuing love and refining love and uh, dissolving one's selfishness in ever-expanding experiences of love, one then rises into the state of consciousness where one realizes that love is real. It's mm. such a beautiful um, explanation about this. Thank you for that. I, I, you know, I want to say that, um, of course, I can hear in, in what you just shared with us, you know, the definition that is often given, um, that God is love, right? <laughs> but, you know, people say, well, what does that mean? You know, and there can be so much confusion about love. You know, I think love confuses us more than anything else. (laughs) Um, And when we talk about bhakti, we're really not talking about emotion when we talk about love, you know, per se, although emotions, our emotions are used as part of the vehicle. um, But you know, in this definition, love is real. Um, love is something eternal. You know, we're not talking about emotion, right? Correct. And I think that's an important um, distinction for people who are new to this path to understand. Because sometimes people, you know, I mean, these paths of yoga are helpful for people, of course, and they, they take into account our um, temperamental uh, inclination, you know, so those who are, um, you know, of an intellectual bent, you know, tend to go towards the path of jnana yoga or wisdom yoga, um, and those who are more emotionally oriented will veer towards bhakti yoga, but you know, with a little bit of investigation, we learn that this path of bhakti is going to take us beyond emotion. Good. That's correct. Uh, perhaps we could we could think of the uh, the eternal divine love, which we referenced uh, as being uh, like a pure white light. And then when that light is sh- uh, when that light shines through a prism, it refracts into various colors of light. And those different colors of light are our various experiences, our emotions, our thoughts. Our physical activities. Now, these these uh, energetic manifestations of the diffusion of light have their origins in light. Okay, so they have their origins in love, but through uh, through divine Maya or through divine magic, we somehow forget that. All and everything has its origin in love. And in that forgetting, we then uh, undertake these different spiritual paths. But uh, eventually, all of them lead to an experience of the divine love. And this maya, this confusion, is not a, uh, uh, an enemy or an obstruction. It is an integral part of what's needed in order for a universe to exist. Okay? However, as, individual, as, as individuals, we feel as if somehow we are waves on the ocean that have separated from the ocean. Just like the colors, if they somehow started to feel they were separate from their origin in pure white light. Similarly, if a wave believes that it is separate from the ocean, it is simply wrong because the wave is nothing but the ocean. Mm-hmm. Right? Wave is, is really a cognitive idea. It's, it's an expression of the ocean itself. So through, through the path of bhakti, the wave realizes it is and always has been and always will be the ocean, and it can't be anything other than the ocean. Mm. And so even though the path of bhakti, mm, 
through this expression of love and devotion has uh, an element of duality built into it. Um, there is ultimately the goal is the same as all the other yogas, which is to realize oneness, the, the truth of our essential nature, that there is no existence other than the one, that all is the one, um, is really the, the heart of, of, bha- of bhakti yoga. Um, tell us about the yeah. origins of these sutras and, and then what inspired you to write a modern translation of them? <laughs> well, uh, well, the origin of the sutras uh, themselves, they, they were written by Narad Muni, and Narad Muni is portrayed throughout the yogic literature as being a great uh, bhakta, a practitioner of bhakti uh, yoga. And he's also uh, quite mischievous and um, uh, is often portrayed as being a troublemaker who either uh, deliberately or inadvertently precipitates the furtherance of spiritual development. Mm-hmm. He's a figure kind of like Nasruddin for the Sufis. Uh, it's similar, yes, yes. Uh-huh. Uh, and so uh, I was drawn to this text for a variety of reasons. Um, perhaps uh, Narad's personality um, is is similar enough to mine that we resonate along the same uh, the, the same frequency that life is not. Life was not intended to be a burden or a struggle. It's intended to be an expression of this divine love in the same way that the waves are, are intended to be an expression of the ocean. And it's simply our own confusion and our own contraction that prevents us from, from experiencing this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can hear Babaji as you say that, you know, saying life is not a burden, but we make it so, <laughs> you know, with, with how we think about it. And uh, Well, he and I had a big uh, argument about this one time. Uh, he, now, we how were, can you have we a were... big argument with somebody who doesn't speak? <laughs> well, somehow Just... I managed to do it. <laughs> what, what happened was uh, I... I was in a mood where I had just had it up to my nose with the suffering of the world, my own personal suffering, as well as the seemingly endless and unnecessary suffering that, that people impose upon one another. And I asked Babaji about why this was taking place, and he gave me several different answers, several different philosophical answers based on the different uh, orientations of yoga. And with each answer, I argued back that I could not accept that this suffering was necessary, that Mm -hmm. I I was arguing there had to be a Mm -hmm. better way. Mm -hmm. Finally, he said, "You, you have to accept that this is God's will. And this is where our argument hit the peak because mm. I stood up and I pronounced that such a God I would never worship. Mm-hmm. And I stormed out of the room. And on my way out of the room, he wrote something quickly on his chalkboard and someone yelled, Premprakash, Premprakash. And I turned around and they read on the chalkboard and Babaji said, where he wrote, relax, try and <laughs> Enjoy it. <laughs> and that just made me even angrier because that was the last thing I wanted to hear or felt myself capable of doing at that time. Mm-hmm. In retrospect, however, it turns out that that was very wise counsel and that in this relaxation, one starts to perceive the deeper dimensions of life and then the struggle really does transform into a leela, into a divine play whose purpose is apparent that it is to distribute this divine love. 
and this divine joy. Thank you so much for sharing that story. We're going to take a break now. Um, you're listening to the Yoga Hour with our guest, Prem Prakash. Uh, his website is gmsy.org. And when we come back, we'll, we'll continue our conversation about the Bhakti Path and take a look at a few more surprises. We'll be right back with you. As Unity Online Radio continues to expand its programming and outreach to the world, we count on the support of listeners like you. Please make your donation today. Go to www.unity.fm and click on Donate Now. Chris Michaels, host of Healing Your Life on Unity Online Radio, is an author, life coach, national speaker, and the founder and spiritual director of the Center for Spiritual Living in Kansas City, Missouri. Through his writing, coaching, and speaking, Chris has helped thousands of people understand the basic spiritual principles that govern our lives. In his book, Your Soul's Assignment, he reminds us that we each have something to do here on Earth, a unique purpose to our lives. If you're interested in discerning what is yours to do, are looking for practical spiritual principles to inspire your life, or coaching to provide you with the tools to live more fully, visit Chris's website at www.chrismichaels.net. That's www.chrismichaels.net. Does the idea of being a vegetarian or a vegan intrigue you? Is it something you've pondered? Listen each week as Victoria Moran, author of Main Street Vegan, shows you how to make the shift to a sustainable lifestyle for both you and the planet. Each week you'll learn about the latest on the vegan life. It's not just for celebrities and moguls, but for people just like you who want to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Guests will range from unity ministers to vegan authors, activists, physicians, chefs, and even some of those glittery celebs. There'll be recipes, ideas, tips for going vegan at your own pace, and ways to make a difference for animals and the planet at every meal. Tune in Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time for Main Street Vegan, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien and I'm joined today by Prem Prakash. And we're taking a look at the Bhakti Sutras of Narada, the, the Yoga of Spiritual Devotion. And I want to say that um, when I came across these sutras, it really was like a breath of fresh air for me because I have a, uh, I would say, a bhakti temperament, but I also am really keen not to have to park my intellect at the door of my spiritual practice. And um, what I found in these sutras, in this teaching, is that even though the lead is with um, devotion and the understanding about love in the highest context, love as reality, and I, I really think that was very helpful, the definition that you gave, Pram, um, it, it you must use your discernment as well, and um, that is very helpful. So, tell us a little bit more about the kind of love and devotion that's called for in these uh, sutras. That is really does incorporate quite a bit of what we would call jnana yoga. It's logical, straightforward, and there's a lot about dispassion in there. Sure, because without dispassion without a certain sense of uh, what we would call mental health, then our relationships in the world with objects and with other beings 
become dysfunctional. They become codependent because we are then seeking to use others, to use objects and relationships to prop up our own sense of emptiness. And so there is no positive exchange between beings. There's an effort to take from one another, to exploit one another, and to passively, aggressively use one another to fill an emptiness. But when one is oriented on the yogic path, then one is able to recognize that in an exchange uh, between beings and what we call relationship, there is giving and receiving. And this is very important because if there's not a two-way flow, then there is an inequality. There's a, uh, uh, what we might call a power imbalance. Okay? Mm-hmm. And uh, love can only be found between equals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the love that you're describing um, is really a love that is, of course, dispassionate and without attachment, right? That's 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 a big part of it as well. So, you know, not attaching to be. Yeah, not attaching our happiness or our security or anything like that to something outside of ourselves or someone outside of ourselves. But yet the bhakti way it seems to me then of course does use our propensity towards attachment to have us attach attach to the highest uh, value the divine love and to to simply be in that and if we can bring our attention and our awareness and give ourselves to that fully then it frees us doesn't it? You know, it frees us from all the ways that we try to get that inappropriately from other people. That's correct. All, all of the yoga techniques are, uh, are called upayas. And upaya is translated, and properly so, it's translated as meaning skillful method. It literally means, in Sanskrit, it means magic trick. And so what we're doing is we're using uh, the yogic uh, upayas, the yogic methods, as a means of tricking ourselves, tricking our mind and our propensity towards attachment, towards contraction, and, and transforming those, those attachments, those contractions into expressions of love and expansion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, just a little bit more about that, if you if you can, like you know, how, what would be a uh, a skillful method that one would use on the bhakti path, for example? What sure. would be a practice well, that you would use? Well, at our at our ashram, at our yoga school, we we call it love tennis, and that is that uh, in every encounter with another. There is an effort to hit the ball over the net, as it were, or express love and respect for the other. Now, in our, in our contemporary society, people are so guarded and so suspicious of an expression of selfless love and respect that when the ball uh, comes their way, they, uh, they may uh, scoff at it or run away from it, or look at the, uh, the server with suspicion that perhaps there's a, a, a malevolent design behind it. But those who have been practicing yoga will become intuitive and sensitive enough that they will appreciate that this ball coming over the net is, uh, is part of an exchange of this love and respect, and they will hit the ball back. And they're is nothing higher in this world than this exchange of love and respect between uh, between souls. Mm-hmm. And it also seems to me that as a follower of the Bhakti way, we learn that however the ball comes, we learn to see it coming in love. So even <laughs> when the ball comes to us not very skillfully, um it it seems to me that our skill is to see 
the higher love in action, even in circumstances where um, the person is relatively inept. Does that make sense? That's that's an excellent point, Ellen. And uh, my personal experience with with that practice and that realization is that the more I've developed a capacity to be patient and compassion compassionate with the efforts of others who perhaps may seem less uh, skillful at this uh, this game, the more I've come to appreciate how uh, patient and compassionate my gurus and the sages have been with me. <laughs> and that sense, yeah, you're right? And yeah. that sense of, of being loved unconditionally and being supported, even when I didn't realize I was being loved and being supported, has blown my mind. And, um, and has provided me with a certain sense of comfort that uh, it's okay to make mistakes, that when you're on this path, even as a beginner, uh, mistakes are not held against you, right? There's not an exam that's being graded. There's not a tally of sins that's waiting to be punished. Rather, mistakes are simply errors that can be corrected that can be healed, and that the sages are those who are tirelessly loving us and working to help us grow. Mm, exactly. And, um, you know, that experience that you, you've just referenced is really quite profound. When you can look and see how deeply you have been loved by your guru or a spiritual teacher or mentor, um, not not realizing it, you know, because as we go along the path, there's a certain amount of, you know, railing against the teachings and even the teacher that goes on uh, as we try to find our way. And then at some point, uh, we, we come to see that it has it has been held in so much love and compassion that it's quite um, humbling and at the same time very freeing. It's a beautiful experience that you that you describe, and I think very much part of the of the bhakti way. Now, the relationship with a guru or teacher is also woven into this teaching. So, tell us a little bit about that about about the bhakti way and one's relationship to. Um, the sages or spiritual teachers or gurus? Yeah. Well, uh, a guru at some point in an aspirant's development is absolutely necessary because uh, we have blind spots uh, about our, ourselves that well, by the nature of the definition, we are blind to. Mm-hmm. And a skilled guru or a spiritual teacher will help us uh, become aware of those blind spots and reveal to us how those blind spots keep us suffering. And in that insight of suffering, we will naturally, spontaneously be inspired to want to heal, to want to grow out of that suffering. Mm-hmm. Yes. Exactly. And so then we find a, a divine friend <laughs> who, who can help us along along the way. Um, tell us a little bit about the relationship to being, you know, in the world for somebody who's on the bhakti path. Now, you know, there's this um, sort of classic uh, definition of, you know, th- those who are on the path of jnana yoga, the, the wisdom path of jnana, you know, look, look at this manifest realm and say, okay, you know, it's not this, it's not this, it's not this. In other words, anything that is in the material realm that's subject to change cannot be the ultimate reality and um and so they're using the the path of discernment intellect to cut through you know anything um that changes whereas the 
the bhakti or the bhakta is is looking out and saying yes this and this and this and this and this right so how does this um help us understand our relationship with the world and our ability to engage uh, in activity in the world yeah that's that's a great question in in the the gyan the gyan path or the energy the energy of gyan the energy of wisdom and discernment is an essential part of yoga, as is bhakti, as is love and devotion. These are not in conflict with each other. They are uh, in partnership. And here's, here's perhaps how we could, we could explain that. We, when we look at the sky and we say the sky is blue, okay, we can understand that the sky is not blue, that that's an illusion. The sky is empty space, right? Yes. <laughs> yes, that's what we're told, although it sure looks blue. <laughs> well, precisely, precisely. We understand that this is a temporary, illusory transformation. The sky is not blue. And so we're not attached to the sky being blue. So therefore, when the clouds blow in or when nighttime comes, we don't um, become depressed that the sky is no longer blue. So although we know through our process of gyan that the sky is not blue, we still see it as blue. And through our process of bhakti, we can then say, what a beautiful sky. And we can enjoy the sky being blue, even though we know that ultimately it's not blue. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely. So the two, the two really come together, um, and and that makes so much sense in terms of the path of yoga itself, because you know yoga is wholeness, yoga is balance, and so these paths, whether it's jnana yoga or bhakti yoga, um, help us um, find that balance within ourselves of, of heart and mind um, and hands, you know, bringing, and, and I, I always think that, you know, in my way of putting it all together, I, I, I would say that that bhakti and, and jnana meet at the summit and then they go to work in the world, which is karma yoga. So, you know, both of those paths flow into karma yoga because, you know, once you realize it, it's all God, then there's nothing else to do but serve. So that's my sutra. That's how I see it. <laughs> well put. Thank you. So I was thinking about, you know, as we were talking about teachers and, you know, finding our, our path of, of um, whether it's bhakti yoga or jnana yoga and really yoga being about balance. Um, I was thinking about how we, we often will find a teacher or a guru that will help us balance these elements in ourselves, right? You know, so I was thinking about Paramahansa Yogananda having, you know, Sri Yukteswar as his guru. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> here Paramahansa Ji had this kind of overly devotional nature. And it was a strength, um, but also a weakness um, in, in the sense that he would become too impulsive, you know, too, too emotional. And so Sri Yukteswar, you know, worked with him to help him have more balance, um, with this path of wisdom, which also, of course, was perfected in him. So, you know, his, his guru didn't, um, take away his nature, but he helped him develop the other parts so that there was more, uh, more balance with it. And, you know, often I think the guru will do that with us is to, to help us, um, balance, you know, have balance with, within ourselves. Has that been your experience also? Yeah. You, I, I, perhaps we can think of it like this. Uh, I don't know if you remember when you were a little girl and uh, the time uh, came for you to take the training wheels off of your bicycle and you're going to ride a two-wheel bicycle. Mm-hmm. And maybe your mom or your dad took you out there and they gave you a push and they said, Ellen, steer, look, uh, um, turn your legs. And they gave you all kinds of directions which seemed complex and perhaps even contradictory and certainly difficult to integrate at the time. 
But with practice, by following those instructions, you started to see how looking, balancing, steering, pedaling, you know, et cetera, all worked together to enable you to ride your bicycle. And eventually, it just became second nature. And eventually, it became so second nature that you didn't even need your mom and dad out there pushing you anymore. You were able to do it yourself. And this, this I think, points to the kindness and the love and the respect that a true guru offers their disciples, that their goal is to help them learn how to do this for themselves and then be free. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a beautiful way, beautiful way to think about it. I think this is a good place for us to take a break. And then when we come back, let's talk about um, the flowering of bhakti in our world today, and particularly in the West, um, and your thoughts about uh, what can happen with that and what that might mean. Uh, I'm Ellen Grace O'Brien. You're listening to the Yoga Hour with special guest Prem We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. We'll be right back with you. You ask with childlike wonder, what is the nature of God? Who is Jesus? What is the Christ? How do we know what we know? When you ask these or other heart-centered questions about the non-physical, intangible aspects of life, you are, on some level, a student of metaphysics. New from Unity House and nearly five years in the making, Heart-Centered Metaphysics, a deeper look at Unity teachings, is now available. This is Paul Hasselbeck, author of this quintessential study guide. Enjoy a deeper exploration of universal spiritual principles and truths, whether you are just starting or have been seeking for years. Each thought-provoking chapter of Heart Center Metaphysics speaks to truth seekers like you, providing essential tools to help elevate your consciousness and create spiritual transformations in your outer life and circumstances. Order your copy today from the Unity Online Store at www.unity.org. Then click on Shop. Did you know that you are supported in your quest to create a more fulfilling life? In fact, spiritual psychology suggests that the key to purposeful living lies in your ability to embrace all of who you are and everything life has brought your way. Jesse Harriet wants to talk with you about how to do just that, being yourself and becoming yourself. That's what living on purpose is all about. Call in with your questions and comments for Jesse live every Tuesday at 9 a.m. Central on Living on Purpose, where we blend psychology and ancient wisdom, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. If you have a question, please submit it via email at yogahour at unity.fm and we will respond. Now, back to the Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien, and our guest today is Prem Prakash, the author of The Yoga of Spiritual Devotion, a modern translation of the Narada Bhakti Sutras. And so we've been talking about this path of devotion, this yoga path of divine love, of realizing absolute reality to be love um, and to be this um, support and it's a path of really of joy of finding um, life to be um, sweet I think is part, is part of the bhakti part of the bhakti way um, Prem let's start this last segment with just taking a look at one or two of the practices that are suggested in these sutras you know if one were to say okay I'm following the bhakti way um, what would be their method yeah uh, I, I have two uh, two answers to that based on the text itself. 
One would be to attempt to see everything everywhere at all times as a manifestation of divine love. And to practice uh, forgiveness. And that includes forgiveness of oneself and forgiveness of oneself for not being able to see divine love everywhere and to forgive oneself for um, getting angry at oneself for not being able to see divine love everywhere. Mm-hmm. So that would, be, that would be one. And the other would be to learn from the sages. Uh, if you have the good fortune of having a personal relationship with someone who you feel is wiser than you and more loving than you, then please take advantage of that precious relationship and approach that relationship in as vulnerable a manner as you can. And what I mean by that is not to be foolish or to cast aside any sense of healthy boundaries, but rather don't pretend to be more than you are. When, when someone goes to the doctor, they go to the doctor because they have uh, recognized that they're ill, and they go to the doctor to be healed. Similarly, to go to a guru and pretend that you've already attained a degree of spiritual advancement, which you have not, forfeits the entire benefit of being in their presence. Mm-hmm. So humility, humility is an essential part of the bhakti way, and yes. a sense of humor. <laughs> a sense of humor really helps, and and also I think, um, you know, to be one who intentionally is looking um, to sort of. Uh, gather the nectar, you know, the sweetness of, of life. It's, it's a perspective, you know, about life itself um, that has to sort of start with the premise that it's, it's there, you know, to begin with. So there's right. an, ele- an element of faith that's required. Um, and the more that you can live in that faith, you know, the more then you experience life uh, in, in that way. So it, it's also, um, you know, a perspective uh, that we practice uh, about, although about it, life itself. You're right. Although, although faith is important, it's a, at least at the beginning, it's a conditional faith. Mm-hmm. It's a willingness, it's a willingness to be challenged and to rise above one's current perspective. Now, on the yoga path, and in bhakti in particular, doubts are not uh, evidence of, of problems. Rather, doubt in a sincere seeker is evidence of, uh, of real, honest growth. Mm-hmm. And our doubts should be valued, and we should struggle with them. They should not be used to justify avoidance or paralysis, but doubts prove that we're truly struggling with the material, with the teachings, and challenging ourselves to determine whether or not the sages are telling us the truth or not. Mm-hmm. But it is a combination of, I would say, doubt um, with um, humility and respect. <laughs> so there's a, you know, it's it's a, it's an. It, Difficult to put into words, isn't it? Because it's a doubt that has to do with a, a deep inclination and willingness to learn. So it's it's not a doubt um, with, in a sense, with arms crossed across the heart. You know, it's a doubt with that has a quality of openness to it. Like you know, I don't get this. You know, I'm grappling with it. How does it work? Um, but there's a deep questioning underneath it that is an important part of that kind of doubt. Um, so there's a quality to it that is important. And that's where determination comes in. That, that we, we challenge, our, through faith, we accept the possibility that what the sages are telling us is true. Through doubt, we recognize 
that that is not our personal experience. And through determination, through determination, we insist that we must find the truth. We Mm -hmm. must know during the course of this lifetime if the sages are telling the truth or not. Mm. We have to be willing to... And this is where sadhana, (laughs) this is where yoga provides the key because we have a set of tools. We have these upayas, these skillful methods, whereby we can truly examine for ourselves what is true and what is not and find out through direct personal experience Mm-hmm. If what the sages are telling us is true, this is our our way of wrestling with the angel, isn't it? <laughs> so yeah, yeah. You need to get to get the blessing to say, you know, okay, this is, you know, I got to get it for myself. And yoga really demands that of us, um, which is why I I love this path. That it is not something just to take on the testimony of others, but it is essential that that we have our own experience. Um, before we conclude, and we have just a few minutes left, I, I want to ask you about, um, you know, what you've seen over the years since you've written this book uh, in the flowering of bhakti. I mean, it does seem, you know, with the kirtan that we have, you know, Krishna Das leading the way and the bhakti fests and so on and so forth, that we have more awareness of bhakti now than certainly 20 years ago. What is your experience and your thought about that? Well, uh, there, there is an increased awareness of bhakti, but I'm not sure that Bhakti itself has actually been transmitted to the West yet. Uh, many, many of the uh, participants in this Western Bhakti movement are involved in things like uh, charging money for these different events. And it behooves us to look at our tradition and ask ourselves why these teachings were shared freely and in an intimate way, because as conditioned souls, and particularly as contemporary Westerners, we have a tendency to convince ourselves of what we want to believe is true. And once again, like we talked about earlier regarding the nature of a guru, our blind spots are, we are blind to our own blind spots. And so rather than putting ourselves up on a a, a grand stage and transforming bhakti into entertainment, perhaps it would serve us well to challenge ourselves to participate in, in yoga, in bhakti, in the forms that have been successful for millennia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think I would agree um, with everything that you have just said. And I think, you know, as just the way that things are done in the West, you know, we, we have a tendency because of our um, propensity towards uh, material consciousness, you know, to turn everything into a product <laughs> that we can buy Um and that, you know, just like Hatha Yoga, you know, which was always intended to be um, preparation for Raja Yoga, for meditation, you know, became in the West, uh, you know, a form of, of exercise and fitness. Um, we now see a similar kind of thing, I think, happening with Bhakti, where um, it, it's kind of an emotional high, right, for its own sake. Um, but I want to say on the positive side of it, there are going to be those that it will open the door. So just like with Hatha Yoga, we will find, I think, those who get a little taste of bliss at with one of these experiences and will want to know more, you know, because... Uh, God is um, in charge of the process on the deepest level. I think that that there will be more openings. At least, you know, that's my hope and my sense of it. It's it's possible. Uh, things things will sugar themselves out, as we say here in Vermont. 
<laughs> yeah, that's a great way to say it. And so let us um, conclude this morning with that, perhaps as our as our prayer, that things will sugar themselves out and that the sweetness of uh, divine love in its deep form, which includes, uh, you know, this firm commitment to an ethical code and to uh, to living the dharma, that, that that will be a light shining ever more brightly in our world. It's been an absolute joy to share this yoga hour with you this morning. Thank you so much, Prem, for, for joining me and our, our listeners. Um, and I want to uh, remind you to learn more about his work. You can visit gmsy.org. Org. The next week, Rod Stryker will be back with us um, for the Yoga of Fulfilled Living, Spirituality, Purpose, Delight, and Prosperity. For more information about classes and events and retreats coming up, we have a wonderful silent retreat coming up um, and a retreat for women in the summer, go to csecenter.org. Org. And remember to push that button on Facebook to let others know about us. I look forward to being with you next week. Until then, remember to let your inner light of divine love shine into the world and share your peace and your joy with all you meet. Bye now. Bye, Prem. Thank you again. Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way with Reverend Ellen Grace O'Brien. Join us every Thursday morning at 10 Central, 8 a.m. Pacific, for practical, purposeful methods for spiritually conscious living every day. The Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, only on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. This program is brought to you in part by friends and members of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment in San Jose, California, a ministry in the tradition of Kriya Yoga, the ancient science of self and God realization www.csecenter.org Request free literature by writing info at csecenter.org Have you ever considered that everything you think and say is a prayer to the universe? Are you sending a positive or negative message? Join Reverend Beverly Molander and her guests on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, to find out how they activated the power of yes in their lives, their communities, or the world. If they can do it, you can too. Listen to Beverly Molander and her guests live every Monday at noon Central, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Affirmative Prayer, Activating the Power of Yes, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Repeat the words, God is taking care of it, and it will become clear that you are the channel, and that God is the doer of good works through you. This meditative moment, adapted from Mary Cupferly's God Will See You Through, is brought to you by Unity. Celebrated Unity Minister and author Eric Butterworth tells us, The exciting thing is that wherever you may be along the way of unfoldment and self-realization, no matter what the problems or challenges you may face, there is always more in you, the mystery of God in you, the Christ in you, which means your potential for healing, for overcoming, for prosperity. There is no limit. Join us each week for Discovering Eric Butterworth, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. Central Time with host Reverend Tom Thorpe right here on Unity FM, the voice of an awakening world. notice how the funniest things happen when we stop taking ourselves too seriously and step out boldly? Listen to Funniest Thing with Daryl and Ed as these unlikely saints administer a refreshing dose of laughter and love that will inspire you to step out boldly and experience the funniest things. Join the discussion with Daryl and Ed live every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Central Time on Funniest Thing, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Stop feeding your problems by calling them problems. Whether you have issues with weight, finances, relationships, or any other area of your life, your perception that you have a problem is the most significant roadblock to transforming your life. Join renowned author and transformational coach, Freeman Michaels, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Central for his remarkable new show, It's Not a Problem, It's a Pattern, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Sometimes you feel so alone and overwhelmed, you don't know where to turn. These days, it seems like there is no end to our problems. We invite you to connect with Silent Unity, the 24-hour prayer ministry where someone is waiting to pray with you right now. Since 1890, Silent Unity has always been there. No judgment or dogma, just someone affirming the best for you. Call 816-969-2000 today. You can also connect online at unityprayervigil.org. 